0: Good morning to you. What a lovely Thursday morning it is. Keith Finnegan with you right through till 12 midday. We're going back to that whole quarantine situation because it's been praying in my mind uh, just since we spoke to uh, Locus Joshi yesterday in uh, Dublin. Also, today we had the Cohirla Awards last evening upstairs here in Galway BFM. I'm giving you full details on that, who won what. And uh, a good night indeed and well put together. And uh, today also we're looking at uh, finance with Dave McCarthy. And uh, Professor Sam McConkey joins us. He gives the a COVID update indeed. And we're talking about vaccines and the various vaccines that are available to us. David Connell gives us the Connacht Tribune headlines and McKeown Goes Gardening. We're taking your queries and questions now on the phone lines on 091-770077. 7 7 7 7. Today also we're looking about uh, Dominic Street upper opening up today. We're looking at uh, a wonderful event taking place in the Coach House in air Square. We're waiting for the miracle that book and much more with you now on 12 and Midday. Comment lines are open though if you want to get through to us on 091. Uh, seven, seven, not, not seven, seven, and 53995 should you want to get through to us uh, today. Anything that's bothering you at all, should just dump it our way today. We'll deal with it as the uh, programme progresses. Now, all of this week, though, in association with Little and Buy Me, that shopping app that you can download from your Android or your Apple Store as well. And again, I'll spell it for you again because so many people uh, ring about it. It's B U Y M I E. so it's Buy Me. Is uh, what we're looking at there. So Alan Murphy then, who does the A-list in the afternoon here, is going to play a piece of music. I'm going to tell you the piece of music he's going to play today, as I've done for the last nine days. So I'm going to tell you the piece of music he's going to play today, which is going to be this very piece of music.
1: Ooh, I'm a rebel just for kicks, yeah. I've been
0: Yeah, we all know that bit of music, don't we? Uh, but when you hear that piece of music between three and five uh, today, you send in your name, the word Lidl, or Lidl, your name, and your location, just for the fun of it. And you could be in with the chance to win a 200 your Lidl voucher uh, to spend on the Buy Me app. And again, it's all about downloading the app and doing your shopping online. And from there, you've got a personal shopper who will go about, pick up the bits and pieces. If what you want isn't there, uh, what they'll do is they'll ring you and say, do you want to... Change the toothpaste from whatever to whatever, and uh, then within a couple of minutes they drop it at your door, and away you go, and it's all paid for. So you'll have two hundred euro to spend on the Buy Me app in Lidl. Uh, and again, we're doing it each and every day for the last nine days, and we'll do it again tomorrow. So when you hear that piece of music once again between three and five.
1: Ooh, I'm a rebel just for kicks.
0: So that's when you hear it. Uh, you can WhatsApp us to oh eight seven zero nine five eight nine six eight. You can text us to five three nine nine five, and you can also indeed just use those two platforms. Don't you, don't use the phone on that. But if you have questions for Amy Killeen this morning, feel free just to. Uh, and uh, send them to us or call us with them on 91 not not seven. Somebody is already saying to me, Swanny, why aren't you giving out the app number the um, WhatsApp number for the phone? And then on the other side people give out I give out the number too often. So lads, it's O eight seven two six two six nine five eight is the number from there. Isn't it great to see by the way that the Northern Ireland situation was sorted overnight. It really and truly is uh, great to see that it was just sorted overnight and let's hope that they move on with power sharing and getting on from there. As I was going to bed last night, it looked like it was stalemate. You wake up this morning and the headlines tell us that it's far from stalemate, they've reached an agreement and if the Northern Ireland Assembly itself hasn't uh, put the Irish language on the map uh, by October, uh, the English government have said that they will do so uh, from there. So quite simply, it was a good night indeed for politics and I'm sure that the pressure which was put to bear uh, on both indeed uh, by Joe Biden and by others, uh, that pressure that was put to bear there uh, has brought this uh, outcome about uh, from there. So um, well done to all involved in that. We're getting other calls too in relation to traffic heading towards uh, the Connemara region and the Mount Cross region as well uh, today. There are still restrictions in place. Uh, So there are still restrictions in place And they will be in place uh, for some time to come as well. But the restrictions are in place and uh, they will remain in place. And somebody else has given out about the lack of traffic, uh, the lack of parking, excuse me, uh, in town. The lack of um, the whole situation in relation to to parking in town. Yes, it's a problem, so it is. It's an ongoing problem. And it's a problem that's not going to go away, I'm afraid. Uh, But uh, we have enough, they tell us. We will have an awful lot less they tell us and that's the way it's going to go from there now that let's uh, move on today uh, to the programme uh, because I want to go down to uh, just the screen down here and again just all those contact details if you want to get in contact with us it's 53995 I seem to have that small little bit of a problem uh, with the phone line there today it just resets itself on me so it does and no matter what I do it just kind of resets itself all the time I'll tell you what I'll do I'll just take a short commercial break here and then we're going to go to quarantine in Dublin to see exactly what the situation is uh, there and it's not an easy one I can tell you that much we're back though in two minutes stay tuned for that and more to come I have to say, when I was leaving here last night, we had the Cahillic Award, so it was about half seven, I suppose, when I left here. Uh, but I was thinking of uh, Professor Lokish Joshi, indeed, who spoke to us uh, from quarantine, uh, following his return from India, where he had multiple, by the way, uh, COVID tests, both going out and coming back in again. But I thought of him in his hotel room in Dublin, and just being in number. And he and I have spoken just briefly this morning indeed again uh, to see how he was doing. And uh, tomorrow is his freedom day, uh, but he joins me back on the line again. Uh, good morning to you, and thank you for joining us. Now, you you acknowledge, by the way, that uh, you had come from India and the variants and all that were there, but you were tested many, many times.
2: Yeah, thank you, Keith. Good morning. Um, yeah, so um, in the last five weeks, uh, I've maybe had 10 rtpcr tests all negatives. I think people have to realize uh, that there's a fear that there's a the UK variant, there's a the Brazil, South African, Indian variant. But people don't travel just out on a whim. And when people travel, the biggest fear they have is themselves catching the disease. So they do everything in their power to stay safe, you know. And and at every place, one is tested RT-PCR. You know, I had to have two or three tests before I went. I had a test at New Delhi airport. I had to So many tests so far, Um, and fortunately, I've been negative. You know, so that's 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 the way it is.
0: When you left, um, when you left home after, looking after the affairs of your mom, after she sadly passed away, uh, you flew into Europe. So you did. Was it Frankfurt you flew into?
2: I yes. So on my return journey, I came back um, via Frankfurt, and to be honest, I with my wife and the decision was that I should quarantine in Ireland and not in the UK. At least I'm on Irish soil. Yeah. And, and if things get worse in the UK as they are, I didn't want to get into another limbo land. So I flew via Frankfurt. And uh, in Frankfurt and in most European countries, um, people who are coming from different regions are quarantining in their homes, uh, not in hotels. So I landed there and uh, then I Got a flight to
0: Dublin, but it's it's clear though to emphasise here that you had uh, a negative PCR test getting on the plane and arriving yes. into Frankfurt. You were negative yes. from there, so then you yes, flew from absolutely. you flew from Frankfurt into Dublin, and um, yes. and again Ireland is your home. Your wife and family are in Ireland, and lo and behold, um, you then become a number. And I suppose last night when I was driving home and I had left the radio off. Um, Uh, driving home, but I was actually thinking of the asylum seekers that have come to this country and are in detention centres. I mean, what you've experienced is three trips out of your room on a daily basis for 10 minutes uh, for fresh air, but other other than that, you've lost your identity. You were just but a number.
3: Yeah,
2: yeah. And I think that's something that really, I guess, that tipped the balance for me because any time, anywhere you go, you're called as Mr. Smith or Whoever you are, um, but then what has happened in these facilities? And again, it's really nobody's fault. If people get caught up in the system, the machine, and they forget, you know. Uh, but the way you are treated is that okay, you know, when I get a knock on the door, somebody I, I open the door with a mask on, and the security guard, and uh, uh, he would then radio the base, saying, "Okay, I have room two or four with me," and they'd walk me through corridors and staircases, put downstairs. Um, ten minutes freedom, and then they bring you back. Or well, I'm bringing two or four back to his room, and then I have two or in his room, kind of thing. And you feel like, say, look, I've done nothing wrong. I, I, why am I being punished? Why am I being treated this way? So there, are small things they add up to, kind of, you know, uh, affect your psyche.
0: So, so can, you can't leave the room except when a security guard is with you. Yeah. So effectively, you're in prison. Well prison, I haven't a used the like, word because a pri- <laughs> oh, I'm using it though. But effectively you're in you're in prison like a, a prison like system where you, you go in through your door, the door you lock the door behind you, and the security guard waits until you leave there and then he can leave, but you can't come out of that room until he comes back again and takes you out of that room.
2: That's correct, Keith. That's correct. However, that, that to I, me I is I
0: prison, by not. the way. That to me is detention.
2: <laughs> I would call it detention, and I've stayed clear from the word prison because I would call it more like a house arrest because the reason I've never been in a prison, all I've seen is in movies. I right? have thank uh, God. <laughs> <laughs> so, yes, it feels very odd that you know, you're know you in a hotel, but you can't leave your room. Um, and, uh, yeah, you can, you can only leave with a security guard. Uh, and when you're walking in a little area, small areas as big as eight car parks, uh, it, it, you know, based to park cars and then 10 minutes up and you're brought back by a security guard to your room and you're left in the room. And, um, you know, there are times when you're finishing a meeting or you want to go for a walk, it's nice outside, you just can't leave the room. All you can do is just stay out of your window.
0: Can I ask you, would you be asking the government perhaps not to, to, to look at this whole situation uh, from a humanitarian point of view, uh, we know that the virus is coming under control and we hope that and you're not arguing about the virus or otherwise I mean you would quite simply have gotten off the plane uh, from Dusseldorf being collected by a family member and you would have quarantined at home in your house uh, away from your wife and family that's what you would have done that's what the rest of Europe is doing so would you ask would you be asking the Irish government then to uh, change their motors operandi in this
2: regard? To be honest, I had to be very careful because I'm not an expert. And uh, I do respect uh, the government and the policy makers, the decisions they have taken. What I can share with you and with the government is how people in this situation are going through and how they feel they're being treated. You know, I think incarceration or solitary confinement is not good for anybody. Um, And I'm sure there were reasons. But I think the question I would like to ask, uh, and I would like all of us to reflect, uh, is what kind of country do we want in future? you know, and, and this is twenty first century you know what kind of Ireland do we want you know and I think we could be a leading nation not just from the economic perspective but from in a wholesome perspective, and that's something we should all think about, and there are several aspects of thinking about that.
0: so what would you do?
2: That's a big question uh, I would say I would I would reflect on the current activities, the current way of working and the thinking and having a vision. Where do we want to be? This is a great country, we have great people, great resources, beautiful nature, everything we have. But then something is missing at the same time, you know, is what kind of society do we want? We are a very multicultural society. Look, I have made this my home because I prefer this to any other country in Europe, you know? And and what kind of, we need to be more wholesome, more, I guess, compassionate, caring society, because that is not incompatible with a successful, prosperous society, you know? But we need to think about, and again, the reason I say that, Keith, is because it's very important to all of us because we affect each other, but it's also important for our children and their children what kind of value society they are inheriting, they're growing up in, because that's going to decide. 21st century, which is going to be very challenging from different perspectives.
0: Mm. Is there, as we would say, is there a bit of a pep in your step today because you know sometime tomorrow, between now and midnight, tomorrow night you will be released?
2: Yes. um, I'm certainly feeling (laughs) as if I'm almost out of the door now. Um, No, I think... uh, yeah, I, I feel really great today. Uh, I did speak with some people yesterday um, when I was walking, and they they were not happy They were they, because they had just had enough of the wallpaper, the carpet, the room. They just wanted to get out as soon as possible.
0: And, I mean, it's the three meals, are they delivered to your room then?
2: Yes. There's always a knock on the door. Certain times you're trained like a Pavlov's dog, and um, you open the door, there's a, a box or a bag waiting for you. And you have your meals. You have your meals in your room by yourself. And I think it's it's just small things, you know, that, you know, uh, two weeks of uh, plastic container meals. Um, And as I said, it's really nobody's fault. The system is designed to keep these people away from spreading. But at the same time, the impact it has on people, the mental health, you know, the emotional well being, that's what I'm concerned about.
0: And that's where the big thing is emotional health is going to be the the big legacy indeed of uh, COVID-19 yeah. yeah. really is because we're Absolutely. now a year and a half into it so we are at this stage and I think everybody's... Yeah, been, and I
2: think yeah. you're so right Keith I think everybody is just tired but at the same time we need to think as a society as a collective how can we help ourselves and everybody else to come out of it in a healthy way.
0: Yeah. I think no matter, like you whether you're a professor in the college, whether you're one of the street cleaners in the Galway City Council, you're a bishop, you're a priest, you're a multi millionaire, you're a radio presenter, you're whatever you are in life. I think the COVID situation over the last year and a half has affected everyone.
2: Yeah, yeah. And I think what it has reminded us is that we're all human beings. Um, and in a situation like this, an invisible force, invisible enemy doesn't discriminate, you know, and we're all vulnerable, we're all in it together and I think we need to come together as humanity, you know, and and, and have that sense of compassion for ourselves and everybody else and care, uh, because we have all suffered one way or the other.
0: Absolutely, and I think in six months time when hopefully things will have stabilised, I would hope that the government at that stage then would have some kind of a task force and uh, that we could all feed into and say, look, what I found was this what I found was that and you know and let and, and then listen back. So this is not going to be the last pandemic um that the country will have. Will it be in my lifetime? Yeah. Will it be in your lifetime? I don't yeah. know. But let's learn from what happened this time round.
2: And I think you're so right, and as, as as you know that some of my research and activities are in developing uh, technologies against pathogens and pandemics, and they are signed to their report that so they are forecast that this is not the last pandemic and there'll be more pandemics and there'll be much shorter time periods. And and I I hope they are not, I hope they're wrong, but if that's true, we need to be prepared for that. We need to create a resilient society. We need to, you know, we just, you know, we can't fall apart again and again. That would not be good for us. And, and as I said, our children and their children,
0: Okay, well, thank you so much for joining us uh, today. For Quarantine 204, thank you for joining us uh, today on the programme. Thank you. And Peter. I hope you lose that title very, very quickly, Professor Lokesh Joshi, joining me on the line. I have to say that our conversation yesterday bothered me. Now, I hadn't had much time to think about it, but it did bother me, and I was leaving here last night. It was still bothering me, and I hadn't got his mobile number, Wispy, to ring him to see was he okay. Not that I could do anything about it, but just to say, look, a friendly voice or something... Uh, uh, last night, we had the Cahillic uh, Awards, indeed, Community Awards for 2020. And the following are the people who received, now there was uh, six in the first grouping, indeed, the Community Response Award, and they'll all be up online shortly on the Galway County Council or website and all of their social media. Uh, but the uh, first six winners, indeed, in the Community Response Award was Accessibility, Ben Laszlo, Deborah Gill represented them, Anthony Roy Music with Catherine uh, McManus, and he had Cargis, which was Eileen Davis. He had Gort Cancer Support Group, which was Mary Nolan. Killan Parish uh, COVID 19 Community Response Team, Patricia Follen. She hadn't much to say, had our Patricia now. And uh, the Sullis Headford, indeed, was John Middleton. And uh, they all received, indeed, the beautiful um, prizes which they received. And uh, the Culture and Creativity Award went to Glendor. Community Arts Group in Athenry, and Maura Daly uh, joined us on that. The Environmental and Natural Heritage Awards, the Walks Project in Lochray, Ursula Marmion joined us. She was in Sligo. She had a bit of fun, so she was. Her phone broke down, uh, but her chairman jumped in and uh, took to the helm there. On health and well-being, East Galway Midlands Cancer Support Group, Jacqueline Daly uh, and her team there were winners. In the Irish Language Award, Donegal Haleha was the overall winner there. In the Social Inclusion Award, Connemara Care CLG, Kathleen Aspel Mortimer uh, joined us and they were in great form, I have to say, uh, last evening. The Individual uh, Volunteer of the Year Award went to Venetia McEllen in Hedford in County Galway and the Cahilloc Special Award, indeed, which he held close to his chest until the end of events last evening, was the Athanai Community First Responders and Garage of uh, was the person there. And um, Councillor James Charity Cahillac uh, good morning to you thank you Lee, for joining us uh, today uh, a good night had by all and some very happy people out there I have to say James
4: yeah I think that's fair to, to say Keith it was a lovely evening and I suppose a nice opportunity for us all to really recognise the efforts of community groups volunteers right around our county who have put so much in and particularly so over the last year Um, where, you know, it's been unprecedented times really and uh, difficult circumstances for a lot of those groups to operate in and to carry out some of the activities that would ordinarily come so readily to them in a a regular year. Um, So, look, a a huge effort on all of their behalf. I think we had, you mentioned the winners there, we had 57 different groups and individuals that have been nominated across seven categories in total. Um, all of those doing you know a huge amount of unseen work right across our communities in Galway um, and I think as much as I want to congratulate the winners we have to really say thank you to each and every one of those volunteers and community groups who put so much effort into our county.
0: But it just shows and we say this in the city with this when the City mayor Awards are on as well, it just shows how much volunteerism is out there Because none of the people, indeed, who received an award last evening make one penny farthing out of it. It's all volunteer.
4: Yeah, I think that's one of the remarkable facts of it. And, you know, when you look across some of the activities that the groups have carried out, everything from setting up Meals on Wheels groups to actually going out and collecting shopping for people during the pandemic, collecting prescriptions... Um, walking dogs, doing bits of DIY for them around, you know, the the house if it was needed and when conditions allowed. So, you know, it's a really broad range of kind of practical assistance that was offered to people right around the county. Um, And social supports, I think, that, you know, without the work of these people, just wouldn't be there. So they do it
0: they're all recognised and for those that weren't recognised, I think to be nominated is uh, is as big an honour.
4: Yeah, look, I suppose in one way
0: just good fun so it was absolutely so listen congratulations to all of the winners that I've announced uh, there we'll announce them again later in the programme but well done to all of them uh, now you have to fill up the boat of the car and travel around and present them all you know that again we didn't tell you that last night and uh, Mary I do
4: I'd, be, I'd have uh, practical assistance there from Vincent and the PPN team as well so uh, you know
0: no uh, better person no better person, Dr Lyons will be jumping into the car with you. Social distancing in the boot or in the back altogether. Thank you Lee, for joining us. That's the Cahillic of Galway County Council indeed at James Charity. We're looking at finance next. Stay tuned. Now, <laughs> Dave McCarthy joins me from McCarthy and & and He joins me on the line today. Dave, good morning to you. Thanks for joining us uh, today. Can I ask you before we go into full finance uh, today, are uh, prize bonds still in operation?
5: Oh my God, they're still in operation. Um, not only is it still in operation, but we have seen in the last week um, a big increase in the amount of money that's gone into prize bonds over the last year or so. So it's, they're very much, uh, um, um, I suppose, in operation. But the one thing I have to say, Keith, is, is that there is a kind of a, a misconception about people, uh, from people out there, that you know, putting money into prize bonds is good and then put it in inverted commas, investment. It's not an investment I've heard of situations where people put large amounts of money into prize bonds and it's a very silly thing to do in my opinion because you know the more people that buy prize bonds the, and the fewer prizes would be available uh, to be won and in fact actually they announced last year that the amount of prizes has actually been reduced and the amounts have been reduced so it's a, it's a silly thing to do as an investment in my opinion it's a place to put money if you want it have it, it's secure and you can get it back, but you can do that with a bank account, and that's going to do nothing for you either.
0: But I mean, are we getting many winners? You don't know. You said that the amount of people winning is reducing as well.
5: The amount, the, the number of prizes are reducing, and you know, if you look at it on a, you know, any sort of a, I suppose, try to look at it on a statistical basis, you know, winning something in a prize bond is, is, is for a large amount of money as opposed to putting it into an investment where you get the opportunity to make something out of know, it. There's no comparison. So anybody with 60,000, 70,000 and I've heard of uh, cases like this in prize funds is, is not making much out of that money and, and in my opinion that they need to be a bit more uh, fruitful with how they, they, they consider it, it, investing it.
0: Somebody else was on to us uh, today and again, don't know what they're going to do with this one but I'm switching jobs and will lose the death and service benefit uh, that I currently have. Now what can I do in this situation? Now they don't give us an age on
5: that. No, um, this is actually something I suppose because of kind of maybe the type of industries we have in Galway um, in particular uh, is a benefit that a lot of people have with through their pension plans. So if you work for the likes of Bots and Scientific, Medtronic, whoever, and uh, they have very good benefit packages. And within that, um, they also have a, a feature in the, their pension scheme for death and service benefit, which is can be three, four times their salary it's quite substantial, God forbid, if something happens to to that individual and a claim is made. So once you leave a job that has that type of um, feature within the pension plan and you go to another company that doesn't, um, it's something that a, a lot of people might forget that they've lost. So therefore, you need to look at maybe replacing that with other private health cover that you take out yourself. Now, the cost of that and the, and the level of... Or sorry, the health, life coverage, not health cover... um is going to be dependent on your age, it's going to be dependent on your health. So, it's, I suppose one area I would flag for anybody moving from a company that has death and service benefit to an employer who doesn't have it, it's something you will have lost and you may have to replace and if you can do that you should look at it.
0: And finally, is it possible to move my pension plan from one life company to another as I'm unhappy with the provider that I'm presently uh, with?
5: It is. It's, it's It's no problem moving it from one company to another but it's also no problem in moving it from one fund or uh, one structure within the existing company that you're with and that might be something that might be a bit more um, appropriate for you. But uh, again it's one of those areas you really do need to receive advice unless you're very very, uh, I suppose, worldly wise in, in the area of investment um, and you could make the decision for yourself. But in Pensions in terms of what company they're with or mobile, um, but it's important that you receive investment advice before you take the
0: step. All right, Deb McCarthy of McCarthy and Associates, thank you so much for joining us on 091 based in Wuki in Galway. And thank you for joining us uh, today. Oliver joins the at Sports and we're looking at the GA first off. The, the uh, 2020 Junior A hurling semi final uh, was played last night in Kenny Park with Crockwell beating Chicago and And my luck, uh, it went to penalties uh, though. It went to, went to penalties. Very right?
6: unusual, but uh, a penalty shootout required. The thing about G.A. as people are now getting used to the last year and a half where matches finish on the day and that means it doesn't matter what it goes down to in the end if you have to be there all night it'll be finished eventually it comes to a penalty shootout after extra time and that's what happened now both these teams would have been looking forward to the completion of the championship last year before uh, again a second lockdown came in and put a halt to the completion of a number of competitions in Galway one of them being the Junior Hurling Championship and so it was such a long wait for the hurlers of Crockwell and up Mbaili-Moylach to eventually get back out onto the field. And to their credit, they produced an absolute belter of a game. On a nice evening in Kenny Park, the scores were flying and keeping in check, I think, with the huge scores we're getting at inter-county level. Again, up Mbaili-Moylach scored 23 points, Crockwell scored 217. That was after the extra time period where they couldn't be separated and so into penalties they went and Crockwell won at 2-1. An awful way to lose for Schijfenaar and My luck, but I suppose they had to have a result on the night. So Crop will go forward to play Clarenbridge in the final, and the winners will be promoted to intermediate for 2021. And of course, that championship will be kicking in in the autumn. So whoever wins that, uh, that I don't know, that presume they're going to be playing that match in the next week or two, mm. uh, and then the uh, the winners uh, will be getting ready for the draw for the intermediate championship only uh, a short time after that. Good stuff. Good stuff. Listen, from a soccer point of view, good night for Italy. Yeah, they look really impressive. I mean, Italy and France look the kind of standout teams early on and Italy, again, they're on an extraordinary run of uh, clean sheets, of successive victories and they booked their place last night really with plenty in hand as they beat Switzerland 3-0 in Rome. So they play Wales on Sunday knowing that a draw would win the group for them but they can afford to rest players now because six points out of six they're in a very, very smooth place. And let's say they just want to keep that run going. Uh, Wales on the verge of a knockout place as well, courtesy of their 2-0 win over Turkey in Baku. Uh, Wales did well, despite Gareth Bale missing a penalty. They scored their second goal late on, but they were full value for that victory as well. So Italy and Wales look like they're coming out of that group. What's going to happen in Denmark's group? Well, they play against Belgium in Copenhagen. So they have a chance to make up for that 1-0 defeat at the hands of Finland if they can turn things around and beat Belgium who uh, would have beaten Russia. So if Denmark can win, then all four teams will have three points. So they will have a chance to make up for uh, losing that match, which, remember, was restarted just a matter of hours after mm. the the shocking collapse of Christian Eriksen and everything has been said and written about that subsequently. But the uh, that's an interesting match at 5 o'clock today for mm. Denmark-Belgium. The early match is the Ukraine against North Macedonia. That's at 2 o'clock in Group C in Bucharest. <laughs> And at 8 o'clock, the Netherlands welcome Austria uh, to the Johan Cruyff Arena. Um, That could be an interesting game as well. Mm. Um, But yeah, Ukraine against North Macedonia is one for the purists. I suggest.
0: Now, somebody wants to know, would you ask Ali, is there any date uh, for the intermediate
6: hurling final yet? For the championship final? Yeah, Will we put up all those uh, club, Galway club fixture dates um, last week when we got the the calendar, okay. so if you just scour go to bfm.ie, you'll see actually the full calendar of events for the months of July, August, September, mm. uh, where all of those matches are, are fixed in there, so offhand, saving me, going to Google, have a look on it there. So that yeah. was released over a week ago, so you'll be able to see the dates uh, that are provisionally scheduled in for the starts of uh, all of the championships, the group games, the knockout stages, and then mm. obviously the latter stages as well.
0: It's the first time in a lifetime that I've seen you bring the remote control for the TV to studio. Is that because the golf, the Open? It is. It's the U.S. Open. So you bring
6: it with you now to it's, the office. You just can't take any chances. So it's it's <laughs> half three until about half one tomorrow morning. Uh, outside of that, I'll be available for calls. So half three is the start of Shane Laurie. I think he could go well. It's a tough course, Tory Pines. You know they're saying it's going to suit the lads who bomb the ball. Doesn't every tournament? I mean, is the script written? for Bryson DeChambeau and Brooks Koepka to be slugging it out, uh, given their public spat in recent weeks. They don't like each other. They don't even hide the fact that they don't like each other. And there's every chance that they could be in the mix come Sunday evening. We'll wait and see. DeChambeau battered and butchered his way around the course last year to win by six shots. He's going to try and do something similar with Tory Pines. Laurie, um, you know, he likes difficult golf courses as well. And and, uh, so he's... But he will be looking to get off to a good start. That's the key. Half three for Shane. Rory McIlroy not out until half nine. I mean, you couldn't really have a red Rex on Rory to win this tournament. And yet, not with he's such a talent. Has, yeah. uh, you couldn't rule him out either. But, you know, he's the kind of fella now that if things go pear-shaped, you, you could see him missing the cut. He's alongside Justin Rose and Dustin Johnson. But again, McIlroy's the kind of streaky player. As somebody said, I was watching some of the American preview coverage last night. If McIlroy gets a good drive away on the first... Mm. just one shot his very first tee shot he could be made up for the week that's how brittle that's how he fragile is. the whole thing is that's how fickle his game is and fragile is a good word because his mental state I mean his putting has been much spoken about but his driving uh, I mean his par fives the way he played them in the uspg was just nothing short of shocking and had he even played them in, in even reasonably under par like um, mm. Phil Mickelson would have then McIlroy would have been in the in the mix and probably would have won that tournament. So we, we've no idea what McIlroy is going to show up, but he doesn't start until late tonight. On, racing, when you see the likes of Stradivarius still going, isn't it great? Yeah, four years in a row now going for the big one, the Gold Cup at Royal Ascot. Frankie Dottori's still going. Uh, Frankie's 97 now and he's still going strong. <laughs> <laughs> he's on board the short price favourite, Stradivarius. That big race is at 4.15 today. And as part of a seven-race card that gets underway at half-past two, we'll have our usual Royal Ascot preview at lunchtime on Sport. And here at home, there's an eight-race card at Leopardstown, the first off at ten-past four. We'll talk tomorrow a little bit more about a big weekend for the Camogie Girls, as they're in action, of course, in the league final. On Sunday evening at half-seven in Croke Park, so it's going to be a late night back.
0: For everyone for about, everybody
6: involved in that, yeah.
0: Including the team and our team as well. Right, thank you for joining us. Celibert Turner and the team in Sport LR every everywhere here on Goldway BFM. Goldway
7: Bay FM Sports News with Western Motors Bally Britt. Our sales staff continue to work through our digital dealership
1: at Western Motors Holzbag in
0: Now in relation to quarantine, our country, our rules go back to where you came from. And uh, quarantine is quarantine, Keith. Uh, you just need to suck up the rules or the rules. We do not want the Delta variant in this country, Keith, for God's sake. Um, there's not only one person in quarantine or has to quarantine. And actually, uh, somebody said here, Keith, my husband works in Egypt. His rota is four weeks on, four weeks off. He's already had locked down in March 2020 in Egypt for 13 weeks. Now he has to mandatory quarantine when he gets home. He will spend two weeks out of uh, three and a half weeks off in his hotel room, and that leaves him for one and a half weeks with me and our three children. Uh, that's our summer, unfortunately, and uh, that's what we can do. That's our summertime, full stop, as his caller said. Now, then let's head towards the 10 o'clock news. Good morning to you. <coughs> now where are we with all the vaccines and where are we with can we get uh, another vaccine as a second dose where are we when it comes to the AstraZeneca that I got indeed and waiting for the second dose where are we when it goes to um Going to your pharmacy because we've had numerous calls today from people saying I contacted the pharmacy, they can't give it to me, and uh, they don't have the supplies uh, to do so. Uh, Professor Sam McConkey joins us and kindly has stepped out of a clinic uh, to take our call uh, this morning, and he joins me on the line as well this morning. Professor McConkey, a very good morning to you. A lot of questions coming into us today just about the vaccines, and can we get a different second dose and/or otherwise? What's your thought process on where we are currently? First off.
3: Um, we're doing reasonably well compared to last January, February or compared to 2020. Uh, you know, the numbers of COVID cases overall in the country are coming down, the number of ICU patients are coming down and, and the number of people in hospital has dropped quite dramatically. So we're kind of surprisingly in a stable uh, orbit and we're now doing this uh, with less restrictions, you know, than we had in January, February, March. So we've opened up. From the from the you know nineteenth of March, we've been gradually every two three weeks opening up little bits of our life, and now we've outdoor drinking, we've kids back to school, we've most people are trying to get back to work now. So so I think our stepwise opening up is so far so good and steady as she goes, being being successful. The the things that are worrying to me and probably to lots of us, is the UK, particularly Great Britain, yeah. um, have had a huge surge of this new strain called the Delta variant. It's all over for some reason. It's cities beginning with B, Bolton, Blackpool and various other, Bedford, uh, I've no idea why it's a B word. Maybe the book causes it to spread. Whatever the reason is, this Delta variant, their numbers are surging. They, they're, they're not getting as sick as, um, you know, we've seen with previous COVID. It's mostly young people, and the crude numbers, and I'm sorry to be a bit crude in Is about 1% to 2% of people end up in hospital with this new variant because they're younger, and about 1 in 1,000 are dying from it in the UK. 1 in 1,000... That's much less than what we had in January. It was about one or two percent were were diagnosed with the original COVID and probably because they're younger. But one one in a thousand death rate is still a bad thing. You you can't consider any pandemic with one in a thousand death rate as, as a trivial event. So we're now trying to cope with how do we prevent this Delta variant coming into Ireland and spoiling our nice, stable recovery that we've been enjoying over the last few months.
0: So then that brings us nicely into the quarantine restrictions that the government are talking about are for people coming from the UK, but it doesn't stop them flying into Belfast and just getting a car or a bus into Ireland.
3: Um, I slightly disagree. If people come in from Britain through Northern Ireland, they're still legally obliged by the legally, law of our yeah. country today to fill up a travel locator form and that is to state every place you've been in the previous 14 days and if you've been to Bolton or Blackpool or England or Scotland or Wales, you have to state that so the people coming in through Northern Ireland across the border from Britain have to do a travel locator form just in the same way as as everyone else coming in through the airport or the port. There is something like 3 or 6 months in Mountjoy maximum prison sentence if you don't do that or something like 3 or 5 thousand euro fine and I believe it's a criminal offence so we, we have brought in very robust laws uh, through the Department of Justice which are, are legal and are, are the laws of our land right now to say that folk travelling across the border with Northern Ireland who come into Northern Ireland from Great Britain do have to do a travel locator form just the same as if they come in on an airplane to Galway or to Knock or Dublin Airport.
0: Okay, so it w- is it as they land in uh, Belfast then that they have to do the travel locator form? And... No,
3: I believe it's when you cross the border. Okay. It, it's It's... When you cross the border. So they have to do the same rules. So people who've done that, coming in, say, fly London to Belfast and then cross over to Monaghan or Donegal, do, do have to spend uh, two weeks, not in mandatory hotel quarantine, but in mandatory home quarantine. They can find a little cottage in the wilds of Leitrim or Sligo or Donegal and hang out on their own or with the people they're travelling with. Uh, in in a little cottage for for, for two weeks and not be interacting with the general population. Now, if you want to get out slightly early, the the rule is now, it's not just the government talking about, but this is is what they brought in two days ago, is that you can get a nose test for PCR at day five and at day 10, and if both of those are negative, then you kind of get out of jail free. It's like Monopoly, you get at Pasco and you get out at day 11 when your results are negative for those two tests. Or if you don't have tests, then you have to stay in for 14 days.
0: But you have to adhere to the law. Okay, good, and thank you for clarifying that. Well, that, that is because the law of the
3: country. I'm yeah. sure there will be people who flaunt it, but that, that is what our government, we are a country of law and order and rules, and these, in my view, make sense, because, the, as said, England had very good control. You heard Boris Johnson trumpeting how successful their vaccination programme was, and everything went hunky-dory, until about six weeks ago, when it started to go the other way, and now the rates are rising exponentially again in certain foci in England due to this Delta variant that apparently is much more transmissible. Yeah. The English are very good data, very good epidemiology, and they're saying that uh, if you live in some in a household with people with this Delta, you're nearly twice as likely to get it as the strain that we had circulating in Ireland back last March, April, at the beginning of the pandemic.
0: Can I come on then to the vaccine rollout, uh, Professor McGonkey, if you don't mind, just in relation to where we are with it. And I mean, it seems to have gone extremely well, but it's this second dose that's catching an awful lot of people because we know with the yeah. second dose um, that the Indian variant or the Delta variant that we're talking about this morning... Um, it, it would give us an awful lot of, lot of um, more, I suppose, positivity if we had the second dose that if we did come in contact, please God, that we, yeah. it wouldn't affect us. Um, yeah. but where are we with the second doses? Because we're looking for people with AstraZeneca people indeed that are looking for that second dose. Can you get a second dose of another vaccine?
3: Yes, so I, I agree with more or less everything you've said there that the again, the English epidemiologists and doctors have shown that Folk in England who have only had one dose, which is a lot of the English people have only had one dose because they went for this one dose first policy rather than in Ireland we stuck with let's let's go with two doses and they found one dose doesn't protect you brilliantly against this delta variant so you need two doses. So what what you're saying is is is, is very silent and very solid. So people need their second dose. The um, the rollout of vaccine in Ireland has been limited, as probably everyone knows, in, in January, February, March, by not getting enough of the product. There was a worldwide supply chain problem, and everyone all over the world is looking for it. There's a lot of um, us advocating for global equity, that elderly people and healthcare workers in developing countries maybe should be prioritised uh, for the vaccine before, you know, wealthy, healthy people in who are young in in, in rich countries. So, so there is a worldwide distribution challenge, and ethical ways to equitably distribute this is quite a challenge. But in any case, our government, Stephen Donnelly, has been struggling to get his hands on on two doses for all 5 million of us or, or let's say 4.3 million of us over 12 years of age. That That's a huge challenge for every country, um, maybe except Israel got got a lot of it, but, but a lot of other countries are, are struggling. So I, I see that the HSC have done a very good job at rolling out the vaccine once they can get their hands on it. they They can scale up and give you know, um, several hundred thousand doses uh, a week. Where they're getting, you know, three three hundred thousand doses per week, with um, some now in pharmacies, some in GPs, some in hospitals, and some in special large vaccination centres. They set up these parallel systems of vaccinating, as I said hundreds of thousands of people per week in the country. And they've been going like clockwork. and, yeah, and, they're, they're going and they to, have the, been. The problem is we just can't get our hands on the vaccine. So when they when they get their hands on the vaccine, they can get it. But if we can't get our hands on the vaccine, then obviously they can't. And that, that's not a, just an Irish problem. It's not a problem of our unique to our nation. It's a, it's a problem worldwide.
0: And can I ask you just about then getting... So if you've got AstraZeneca and they can't get it, can you get a dose of a second vaccine?
3: Yes. So... That's uh, that's a good question. The, the um, that that strategy of giving a, a different vaccine that maybe has the same spike protein of coronavirus in the vaccine, but a different carrier, a different vector. In the Pfizer, the carrier as we know is an mRNA molecule, whereas in AstraZeneca, it's a chimpanzee attenuated adenovirus. And using a different carrier for the second dose is. Um, a strategy called heterologous prime boost, if we can get technical. Um, I will say with some pride that that was a, a thing I worked on in human trials uh, when, I, when I previously uh, did a lot of research in the uh, UK and, and, and in Gambia. So, and, and, and published in Nature that, that that is a good, Nature Medicine, that, that that is a good way to get good immune responses to human vaccine. So, that giving us a different dose. Um, a different carrier, the second dose can actually be better than just giving the same one. So at a technical level it, it can be better. We need to see some concrete evidence that that works in this particular instance and that does exist for AstraZeneca boosted by Pfizer in terms of antibody production and T-cell production that you do seem to get good antibodies and good T-cells if you give a different um, dose uh, the, the, the second time. So that's that's the sort of scientific evidence behind it. Then, is it yet in our national policy? I believe it's not in our national policy at this stage. Um, we have this a group called NIARC, National Immunisation Advisory Committee, which group of, of scientists and doctors led by Dr. Karina Butler. That's a subcommittee of the Royal College of Physicians of Ireland, which I'm, I'm a fellow. And, and they have been... Giving advice to our government and our nation about vaccines for for over thirty years, I used to be on that group, I'm, I'm, I'm not on it now. But they, that 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 um, independent advisory group has kind of kept us as a nation doing sensible things about vaccines. Whether it was introducing hepatitis B vaccine in the past for babies, or meningitis vaccine in the past, and now, as we know, that they've been given advice on navigating a safe public policy through through this coronavirus vaccine challenge and I, i'm sure they are looking at this but at present it hasn't been integrated into our uh public policy strategy at this point but it certainly is an important aspect for them to consider but again it needs to be balanced with what vaccines have we actually got available to us what, what's available there's no point in advising a strategy that doesn't optimize no. what's available
0: um, just one query that came in yesterday, but I'm giving it to you today, if you don't mind, Professor Sam McConkey. I'm over 60 and I'm hopping mad, Keith Finnegan here. My age cohort uh, took up the first vaccine shot in record-breaking numbers. We're patiently waiting for the HTC to get their act together and give us our second jab as soon as possible. Some of us are waiting more than 12 weeks now. Never mind the promised eight weeks, and today we, they come out and tell us uh, to come forward and not to delay where, how, a mix and match even considered no details, no plan I'm an angry oldie so they were the ones done first and they did come out in huge record breaking yeah. numbers and because perhaps of the delays or whatever um, they feel that some of the 30s and 40s and 50s are now getting vaccines and they're not
3: Yeah, so the, this is um, I, I understand the felt experience and the, the true narrative of people's lived experience over the last four or five months. So I, I accept uh, both the sort of practical reality of the story that that's happened to a lot of people. And obviously, emotionally, people feel angry, aggrieved and treated unfairly because of it. They, they, and I think what's happening there is that each vaccination centre, when they get the first dose, have a, 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 both a dose of, of the second vaccine reserved or, or planned to come for for giving that uh, same person their second dose. Typically, it was 12 to 16 weeks after the first dose for astrazeneca was the original plan so that that original uh, vaccination center that vaccinated the person whose texture will have a, a slot if you like with a repeat astrazeneca vaccine in 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 the in the future plans between week twelve and week sixteen now of course the plans have changed and, and things have changed but but that that that's where the situation is at present. And, of course, then they they need to have the supply chain coming in. And you're quite right, some younger people may have passed them out. What I will say is that the Health Protection Surveillance Centre, who count the numbers of people with COVID in Ireland very, very well every day, have come out with a report yesterday showing that people over 65 in Ireland now in the last two weeks make up very, very few of the people with SARS-CoV-2 right now, less than 2% of, of the Uh, cases in Ireland were over 65. That's completely different from January and completely different from last year. So that uh, vaccination surge that you correctly described in the over 60s and over 70s in Ireland have now largely protected them and that age group thankfully now are not getting sick. We're not seeing them in hospital with COVID and and they're not even getting SARS 2 they're not getting COVID uh, partly due to the vaccine. Similarly healthcare workers um, you know, like including myself, were suffered many of us from COVID at various times in the previous year and a half. But now that's almost disappeared as well because healthcare workers have all been vaccinated. So the data coming from Ireland has shown really powerful protection by the vaccine in the last few months in these cohorts that have been heavily vaccinated. And what I would love to see now is that we can stretch on down through the years, the thirty-year-olds, the forty-year-olds, even twenty-year-olds. It's now licensed for people over twelve. The the Pfizer has has no license for uh, young people between 12 and 18. So I I look forward over the next month or two to have all of us getting two doses of vaccine uh, who are over 12 years of age. And that will really, in my view, effectively control sars 2 spread and on very well. And I think it means that we can move away from these unpleasant uh, social distancing and physical restrictions leave those behind, stop using that hammer that was social distancing because we now have the other hammer that is the vaccine kind of bam, bam, bam. We've now six vaccines that are effective and, and, and being widely used that are actually a much more socially acceptable alternative than than, than the hammer that is social distancing which does work but you know it, it's unpleasant. It's not what human life is for to be two metres away from everybody else except for the people you live with. That, that's not a great life for the present or the future and none of us really like it or cherish Or Maybe no. a few very unusual people do, but the vast majority of people would we'll be happy to see the end of that. And the vaccine as we roll it out, hopefully sort of a million doses a month for the next three or four months, that, that will get us to a place where we can stop using the social distancing.
0: Two very quick, uh, three very quick things. Keith, my family members are now getting their second AstraZeneca vaccine in Ballybridge uh, four weeks earlier uh, than they expected to get it. Hi, Keith, they got my second dose of AstraZeneca yesterday, a week earlier, 11 weeks instead of 12 weeks, regards, uh, Jerry, And uh, so they're, So that's good. They're, they're, get, they're getting the uh, four weeks and one week indeed, uh, earlier. Can I ask you just about travel? We've spoken about the the, the, U, the UK, but I was talking to somebody not too far away from here, and they said that they are inundated with bookings indeed coming in from the USA. And I spoke to somebody in the airline industry, and they said there's a huge amount of forward bookings coming in for August, September, October, and November from America. How can you, how can Have you a thought process, or would you be concerned about that?
3: Well, America, United States, is... Um you know, there have been some folk um, in the political sphere and in public sphere saying, why don't we copy the US? Why don't we just, you know, do nothing, follow Florida? What's shocking about the US is that back in March last year, President Trump said that non-US citizens could not travel from Ireland, Britain, Europe, and many other countries into the US. So right now... You and I, unless you have a U.S. passport, which I'm guessing most of us in Ireland don't, no. cannot legally fly into the U.S. The day before President Trump re- finished his office, he, he revoked that, but then President Biden brought it back in. So the reality is that you and I cannot get one of these visas to even travel to the U.S. The U.S. has essentially closed its borders to non-U.S. citizens in a much more dramatic and draconian way than, than we ever have in Ireland. And, and as I said, most Europeans cannot travel in into the U.S. right now on you know, uh, May, June 2021, uh, the, the simple aren't open. But obviously Americans can travel here and maybe come for holidays. And, uh, you know, historically we've had a very welcome tourist trade. And exactly. many of our, al- almost every Irish family I suspect as relatives and extended family going back five or ten generations who are living in North America. And we love to see them back and enjoy hanging out with them and, and doing things with them and welcome them greatly. So it is a balance to make sure they don't have COVID. My view is that involves them having PCR tests and having some sort of quarantine. Uh, you know, ideally, um, we, we I think the, the quarantine for the United States is, is actually mandatory hotel quarantine is now now lifted for the United States. You, you don't have to do mandatory hotel quarantine coming in from the U.S. term, but I think you still have to self-isolate at home or in your room. Uh, for 10 days or a couple of weeks, largely, as I described earlier, for the UK. Um, So I think that's very wise. I hope those incoming visitors do follow the rules. I think it's important that our borders are open. We need, for businesses, there are many American businesses and American-owned companies working in Ireland, so we need staff to be able to come and work here for a year or two uh, for long-term travel. So if you're coming to work here for a year or two, doing two weeks at home on your own working from home while socially isolated is feasible... I think it's important, and I've advocated consistently to try and keep borders open, but to have this two weeks of home or mandatory hotel quarantine to stop people bringing in COVID.
0: Professor Sam McConkey, thank you so much for stepping under your clinic and joining us uh, today uh, on the programme, and thanks for all of that information. Professor Sam McConkey, joining us uh, there, and thanks to him for taking time out of his clinic uh, to join us uh, today and keep us fully informed. Quick commercial break, we're back and we're looking at the College Tribune headlines next. David Connell joins me on the uh, line today. And I've learnt an awful lot, so I have, from the uh, Connect Tribune when I read it earlier this morning. He's going to enlighten us uh, today. Uh, Dave, uh, good morning to you. Thanks for joining us you're, today in the programme. You're
8: setting the bar very high on that one, Keith, but I'm going
0: to do my best. Ah, well, you've touched on a few friends indeed. And the first one is a very touching yeah. story on the front of uh, this week's newspaper of uh, a man who cut his turf and unfortunately wasn't there to save it, but his friends have.
8: Uh, well, I mean, I, this this just got me on on so yeah. many different levels, and for for anyone, because I think this will resonate with anybody who grew up in rural Ireland or knows anything about rural Ireland. But for those that haven't seen it, the community around Newbridge, Ballygar, they lost a towering presence recently with the death of John Garrett, a man who was involved in every aspect of the St Brendan's GA Club as a, a player, an administrator, a trainer, manager, chairman. Uh, all of those since he arrived from Williamstown back in 1983. And as you say, when he died at the start of the month, obviously there was a huge cloud of sadness across the area given the huge contribution that he and his family had made. But uh, what that same GAA community did after his death is really heartwarming because John had cut his turf before he died, but there it lay until his his old pals organised a bunch of guys made up of the the football team, friends and neighbours, uh, to meet at the BOG last Wednesday to lift and foot it. So many of them turned up. Now, this was described to me as the area of BOG is around three quarters of the size of a football pitch. Uh, so many of them turned up that they did the whole thing in 25 minutes. Um, and you can you can see from the, the photo just how many were involved in this. It is it is a really simple thing, but it's a really thoughtful thing. And as I say, I think it, it will just resonate with anyone who ever spent a day in the BOG or who knows the value of a day like this. And it also shows just how a man and his family, how much they meant to their local community. So, lovely
0: Absolutely. story. Well, uh, Listen, I hope they're going to bring it home and I hope they're going to creel it and do yeah. all that further and it further, all, all of that, and all of that, yeah. But you have a lovely other um, photograph as well of an 84-year-old in Connemara saving uh, turf as well. So, there's a real earth, pardon the pun, an earthy feeling to today's. Uh, kind of trivia. So well done to you on that. Come here, um, a good friend of mine, I remember the day he got married. I've known him for a long number of years. I knew that they had a daughter and she hadn't been well. Um, but that's another heartwarming story on page three, just in time for Father's Day. It's the Brown family now.
8: The Brown family, and as you say, Paddy, uh, whom you know. Um, again, just what what a... I mean, we talk about it in a kind of sometimes a trite way, the gift of life. This is the gift of life because it's uh, nearly two years ago now since Paddy gifted his daughter, Sive, uh, part of his liver to save her life. And uh, just ahead of Father's Day, uh, which is Sunday, for and I give that message out to two lads in particular who don't seem to know that there's such a thing, but anyway, um, uh, he's <laughs> reflecting on uh, how he would do it all over again in a heartbeat without a moment's hes- hesitation. Uh, Sive their family are from Mount Belieu, she was uh, diagnosed with serious liver problems shortly after uh, she was born. She had initial surgery and that worked very well until she reached three years of age when an infection caused uh, severe liver damage and she was placed on the liver transplant list. The story is how her dad became her living donor uh, and there was a twist or two in in that as well. There's a lovely pic of Paddy and Sive on this, both of them, hale and hearty and just proof of the the enormous good that organ donation does it's often in terrible sadness uh, Mm. but also you can see that when it's a living donor uh, the the ramifications and the positivity for both the donor and the recipient are absolutely uh, huge so that's the message they want to give out and it's a perfect way of doing it.
0: And I didn't realize in all the years I've known him, I didn't realize he had done that. And I read it this morning in the Connacht Tribune, That's what I mean. I learned so much. And he's an advanced nurse practitioner, indeed, in NUI Goldberg in the neurology that's department. Exactly, and he's just.
8: Yeah, so yeah that's exactly it. He knows it from all of these angles. And one of the things, and again, I, I knew this, but I only knew it from previous stories with something like a liver donation, your liver uh, will, will uh, grow itself again. There is no downside Uh, for the donor in a case like this so that's a very important thing to know with this as well
0: Listen, well done to Paddy and to his wife and family indeed and uh, to his beautiful daughter as well Uh, UHG has marked a major milestone this week, COVID-3 for the first time in nine months God bless them
8: Yeah, a phenomenal thing when you remember the pressure they were under uh, but while there were no COVID-19 patients in UHG I'm afraid overcrowding on trolleys is making a comeback But the positive news, and I heard you talking with Sam McConkie in relation to people's frustrations on the vaccination. I understand that. And I I say that as somebody who is very grateful to have been double jabbed as of uh, last Friday and a wonderful service for those of us that have got it. But uh, last Friday, the day it was COVID-free in the hospital, unfortunately, the other side of it, 21 patients on trolleys in wards or in the ED uh, waiting for a bed. That was down to 10 by Tuesday. So a small progress there. And as I say, the other positive is the rollout of vaccines is working. And also, as you know, the change this week is for the over 50s, they can now go to their local uh, pharmacy. And there's a full list of those in the paper as well today.
0: Good stuff. Now you're looking at the mixed fortunes for Galway and the GAA front last weekend as well.
8: Yeah, great weekend for the hurlers and the camogie side. Bad weekend for the footballers in Monaghan. All of that uh, fully explored in sport. Uh, no rest for the camogie ladies. They're out against Kilkenny in the league final this weekend. Uh, So plenty of looking forward as well as uh, reflection. Over 18 pages of sport this week. We really are back uh, where we used to be on this one.
0: And what else have you got in today's Connect Tribune? I know, but you better tell them.
8: Well, I'll tell you that there's loads, actually. Um, I'll start with a few of them. Uh, Top sports psychologist Jerry Hussey has written a book designed to help more people unlock their potential and enrich their lives, and he's been talking about it too. Uh, Stephen Glennon, a man who enriches our lives every week. Uh, Judy Murphy, reminiscing back over 30 years when the Saw Doctors released that seminal album. If this is rock and roll, I want my old job back. It's now on re-release, and I'm looking forward to getting my hands on it very soon. Uh, Stephen Corrigan has been talking to the rugby faithful in Monavay, celebrating their first ever Irish international in Keelan Blade. An absolute fantastic story for a real community club. Uh, I was chatting with Mary Kennedy. She was in Galway shooting a new series for TG Cahir with people who relocated to the West. And it turns out that she's busier than ever since uh, she supposedly retired from RTE. And we've been talking as well to the team behind ShopBallinusLow.ie as uh, they described it, their own version of Amazon, which was born out of necessity during uh, COVID-19 restrictions, an online shopping forum for Ballinus Low. And last weekend, that won the .ie Digital Town award in the large town category. So a fantastic achievement for them and something that has worked really well for them at the most challenging time for the uh, the retail sector.
0: All right, listen, well done. Uh, loads more within uh, the Connacht Tribune. I know, it's early morning and online, by the way, if you just want to go to the Connect Tribune website, you can buy the online copy for today if you're listening to us in the States or otherwise, and uh, you get full access uh, to it from there. David Connell, thank you for joining us, and Dave will join us tomorrow morning in the programme uh, with the City Tribune headlines. Now, the let's take a short commercial break. and We've got Anne McKeown and gardening and lots of your questions... Questions next. Very good morning. to welcome into the program. Good morning, Anne. How are you today? Uh, thanks to you for joining us uh, and uh, loads of questions yeah. for you uh, today really? uh, um, lo- loads coming in get them into us on 53995 or whatsapp us uh, to oh eight seven zero nine 958 1st uh, one up today query for Anne please uh, summer bedding in window boxes not flowering yet uh, grown from seed in March, April and hardened off uh, feed with tomato food could it be poor quality compost not dying but not flowering many thanks Anne
9: No, I I wouldn't put it down to the compost. i put it down to the climate. We're not getting the sunshine required to induce them into flowering. That's the first thing. The second thing is they may have been sown a little bit late. And if they were sown late, they'd be late coming into flower. So I wouldn't panic. You're doing the right thing. You're feeding with the liquid tomato food or, or similar. And keep the feeding up. Keep an eye on the moisture levels of them that they don't dry out. And once the weather levels off and we get a summer, you should have flower. So uh, I wouldn't panic yet.
8: Don't
0: panic yet. Keith, can you ask Anne uh, how to keep hydrangea white plants, please? Uh, thanks a million from Christina.
9: Okay, there's no easy way of keeping hydrangea white. Um, now, hydrangeas change colour in the soil depending on whether you have acid or lime soil and they usually go from pink to blue or blue to pink depending on whether you have an acid or a limey soil. The white are a different story in that they generally stay white because they're unaffected by the soil, they're not affected by the soil, um, but they do tend sometimes to, to favour the slightish purple tinge. There's not a lot you can do about it. You can, you can get um, a colourant that will change the hydrangea colour, but my fear is if you do that with a white hydrangea, you might end up with a blue or a pink. So I would leave well enough alone and add ericaceous compost around the base of the plant once or twice a year.
0: Okay, my husband is out cutting the grass every third night and comes in with grass on his clothes. Is there something that I can use to stop the grass sticking to his clothes? Uh, Could I use a spray uh, or something uh, before he goes out? I've started sneezing and the uh, pollen count seems to be affecting my eyes and running my nose uh, all the time now. I'm wondering if it's because he's so grassy. Help. If I sprayed him with bug stuff, would that work? No.
9: I don't think so I don't honestly think so I know the pollen is a big is a big problem uh for a lot of people and particularly grass pollen uh it can be very bad for asthma sufferers uh, and give you eczema and there's lots of different different um mm. things that can happen with it I don't know of any spray to be honest which you not sure, not cutting you short answer-wise, but I don't know of any spray. It really would be a question of maybe he changing his clothes at the back door when he comes in or wearing a pair of overalls when he's cutting the lawn and just take the overalls off when he when he's finished That's and leave the grass outside the door. That might be the best thing.
0: That's a good idea. A pair of overalls, off you go now and buy a pair of overalls uh, from there. A uh, question for Anne, please. If a neighbour is spraying weed control adjacent to your house, and the weeds are dying. Should I be worried about my vegetables I've planted in my garden near the boundary wall of the area that was sprayed many thanks?
9: No, I wouldn't worry on Julie about it unless there was heavy wind and there was a lot of drift coming into your um into your area and if it was drifting, but if the weed killer was drifting into your area, weeds or grasses that would be around the vegetable area would be turning yellow. So you would see that there was a drift of the of the of the herbicide, and um, if there's no change in colour and the weeds are dying in your neighbours and they're not not in yours, then you haven't been affected.
0: Uh, another caller has been on to us uh, today. Um, we asked Anne um, about uh, moss peat. This caller said, "Can I put moss mm-hmm. peat on a new garden or uh, of shrubs? Uh, they're not doing well. Can I put? Have I put on too much? I wonder." Thank you, Keith
9: you won't have put on too much, but to be quite honest with you, there's not an awful lot in moss peat that will be of any addition to you whatsoever because there is absolutely no food whatsoever in moss peat, so it's of no huge benefit. If you wanted to put on a compost, a moss peat with a feed in it, uh, that would be a better deal, and there there would be food in it, and it would be uh, a nutrient for the lawn or for the shrubbery or for wherever you're putting it. But moss peat on its own is ineffective, so... uh, uh, I wouldn't be, it, it dresses a bed, it makes a bed look lovely and black and fresh. Um, if your soil tends to dry out an awful lot, it holds the moisture for you. From those point of view, it's a benefit, but as a nutrient source, there's absolutely nothing in it. So you can't have put on too much anyway, that's for sure.
0: Okay. Uh, somebody said, I had the same problem in relation to cutting grass and bringing the pollen in. Uh, to my house where it affected the family uh, so I wrapped my clothes in clink film, I changed and wrapped my clothes in clink film and uh, brought them in and washed them
9: uh, Yeah well that that, that's that idea, makes sense that goes back to what I said about, about that gentleman maybe changing clothes at the back door or wearing a pair of overalls that he can discard and put into the wash right away rather than bringing the grass into the house, I think that's the best solution.
0: I have little red flies on my B-E-R-B-E-N-A-S uh, will washing up liquid or water work on them?
9: Yeah, washing up liquid, but not water on its own. Washing up liquid in water. In other words, the sudsy water that you wash the dishes in. Yes, that will help. It's probably red spider mite, but it definitely will help.
0: Uh, can you ask, Anne, how do I grow the green fly on rose bushes?
9: And. Um, the same, I was just about to say when you started that question, you could use liquid garlic on the red spider mite and you can also use it on the green fly on the roses. So it's the same product, a liquid garlic, very good. Um, Otherwise you can use rose clear if you want to use a chemical or you can use rhubarb water which is boiling up the leaves of rhubarb and putting the boiled water uh, once it cools down into a two gallon can of water and spraying with that. So an insecticide like rose clear or rhubarb water or liquid garlic.
0: All right. Now, it's a fairly long one, and again, I'll just take your comment on it in a moment, And if you don't mind. Hi, Keith. Have you noticed uh, that since they've stopped cutting the hedges on the, during the summer months, there are minor roads are totally overgrown with briars, ferns, etc., and are deadly dangerous for all road users? The practice of leaving cutting them till winter was thought up by the greens, arguing that they were protecting wild animals and birds nesting in hedgerows, what madness? Firstly, the roads are made for people to get around safely and young birds or fledglings get killed the moment they leave the nest. There are thousands of acres of marsh, scrubland and forest in this country for them. Secondly, as an example, take the Glen Road outside on the shores of Loch Corral just outside Octorard is totally overgrown. And you are no longer able to see the beautiful scenery of the lake itself. It's so bad the briars are almost meeting on both sides of the road. So dangerous for people using the road. You don't see this in any other country. Could you kindly ask Anne um, what she thinks about this? Thank you, Keith, for your kind attention. Regards.
9: Okay, well, I fall between stools. I'm very much in favour of keeping the environment um, good for birds bees, insects and so on but the safety angle has to be taken into consideration. It has to be because I know myself you could go down a boreen and turn left or right and you can't turn because you can't see on the blind spot with all the goats hanging over the thing so there has to be some common sense used but I, I do know that environmentally you're not supposed to cut your hedges and so on during the summer months but there has to be there has to be a level of common sense when it comes to it. That would be my point of view uh, because um uh, it's it's one thing losing the view, which is such a sin because uh, we have such a beautiful scenery uh, uh, throughout this country. But it's another thing a safety matter that you have to be very careful, safe, safety wise. So I mean, if there's if there's things on blind spots, you've got to, you've got to uh, error on the side of caution and put things back so that you're not on a blind spot.
0: Okay. It's, it's,
9: I'm caught between stools, really, you
0: know. Well, we'll take you off the stool and we'll leave you in the middle. (laughs) Listen, two two aspects to this. Is it okay to trim laurel hedging now? And is it important uh, to trim it or will I leave it grow for another year?
9: Okay, well, this kind of goes a little bit along with what we've just spoken about. Uh, You're not supposed to be cutting your hedges at this time of year but um, if it needs a trim, you could give it a light trim, definitely. Um, you want, if it's growing tall, but leggy and thin, well, then trim a little bit off the top, and by taking some growth off the top, you're preventing upward growth temporarily, and you're getting your hedge to fill out and taken out. If your hedge is very high and coming out towards you, you can trim back some of the forward growth that's growing towards you, and um that will thicken it up as well. So, error on the side of too little rather than too much, but a little trim won't go amiss.
0: Anne, I put chicken pellet manure on potatoes. Do I need other manure on them? Or is that sufficient?
9: Uh, It's sufficient, but if you could get a bit of seaweed, it would be great. Or seaweed fertiliser, you can buy you can buy seaweed fertilizers in in the garden center. and that would give them an extra boost and would 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 be beneficial. Gathering seaweed from the shore in the wintertime and having it over the winter and putting it out on your vegetable plot in the spring is a very good thing to think about over the winter and you and and good way of boosting your your crops. The chicken pellets are very, very good but just maybe a little bit of sulfate or potash with them would be a, an extra benefit.
0: And I have a mountainous area in my garden which uh, never takes hold of anything I sow. How could I sow wildflowers or uh, winter bedding plants on it and get them to stick
9: what you'd have to do is build a little retaining wall with sleepers or with um, stone at the base of it. And maybe if it flattens out at any level, you could put in little shelves of, of stone and pack behind those with soil and scatter your seed on that. So give them little bases to work from, throwing it on a sheet of, of rock or a rock face or, or, or on, a, a, on a mountain um, that's cut off and you have just a sheer drop. They, they won't stick. But if you can create little shells, you don't have to do a fancy retaining wall the whole way around or anything like that, but create little pockets where you can sow them. They will seed naturally onto it, from that onto it on their own. So create little shells is, the, is what I'm saying. A
0: couple of other quick ones. What is the uh, best time to scarify a lawn?
9: You can scarify your lawn anytime, really. Uh, over the summer months is perfect. It you make your lawn look a bit scabby and a little... Ugly looking, but it will thicken up again as the grass begins to grow, and you may have to reseed some of the bare patches, but it can be done in the winter when you, when it's not as obvious to you because you're not looking at it, but it's more comfortable to do it in the spring or summer because it's a heavy oil job, so I would do it, and um, I would do it over the summer months and reseed the bare patches where necessary and let the feed the grass so that it comes up in the bare patches
0: okay, can I top my trees now?
9: You can top your trees now, but it's a heavy job and a hard job because the leaves are on them, whereas if you waited until the winter months, October, November, right through until March, when there's no leaves on the trees, it's an awful lot easier to cut them.
0: Okay, and um, another caller said there, um, scarifying uh, the lawn, should I put down phosphate of iron first and then scarify or do it afterwards?
9: No, before it. it. If you've got a lot of moss in the lawn, it maybe the scarifying would be a very heavy job on you. So if you put the sulphate of iron down about three weeks before you scarify the lawn, you'd be killing off a lot of the, the, the heavy moss before you start tearing it up with the scarifier and make life a little bit easier for you.
0: All right. And uh, somebody else just said, uh, what would you put on the lawn to make it stronger? 7, six seventeen is what I use because you told me to use it. It was yeah, yeah.
9: Did it work, Keith?
0: Did it work, Anne?
9: It yeah, did. you're
0: cutting your lawn regularly, I'd say. And I should, I put two bags, you know the size of my lawn now, so you do. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I put two bags, two fifty 50kg bags on it. And Oh, you put
9: plenty
0: I, on it. I swear to God, you could take a good of silage every second night. i would be like yeah, your man be wrapped up in the cling film, so I will. Yeah, you can give it a bit of an extra
9: feed, but yes. Going back to what that listener wants to hear, yes, seven six seventeen, which is potato manure in effect, but very good in lawns. Under no circumstances use ten, ten, twenty because that will drive your lawn mad and you will be cutting a Christmas day while the turkey is in the oven. You'll be you'll be cutting all the time. But the seven six seventeen is ideal. If you want to feed it with something else, you could use lawn gold, which feeds the lawn and it also kills the moth at the same time so if you have a bit of mass, and it's the long gold it might be the way to go otherwise the 7.617 ideal less expensive than a lot of the other products and very effective
0: Alright Anne listen thank you dude uh, for joining us no have problem. a good and safe week and we'll talk to you again next Thursday that's Anne McEwan joining us there you can write to Anne Goldway BFM Sandy Road in Goldway and you can uh, get your query into her and we'll give it to her in advance of coming on air even though mind you she gets all those questions thrown at her and she has no advance notice of them and she can handle the whole lot of them that's the type of pro she is now, so well done to her. Now, then, let's head towards the eleven o'clock news. Stay tuned.
10: Gardening advice with Galway's newest garden
1: centre located at Mcdee's in Galway Irish Crystal. If you love gardening, you'll no, love MacD's. It's, for a it's just fantastic. Have you many jobs? Oh, loads and
7: loads and loads. The first one for pale blue dot recruitment. They have multiple senior R and D engineer and principal vacancies in Galway City and County, and across the west of Ireland. For more information. You can call Patrick on 091 449463 or you can email patrick at pbdrecruit.ie or you can go to their website. McCambridges of Galway are hiring an accounts assistant. Two years' experience in a similar role is required. You can call 091 562259 or email retail at McCambridges.com. The Lady Gregory and Gort are currently seeking a chef de partie and an accommodation assistance. You can send your CV to info at ladygregoryhotel.ie Advent Medical have vacancies for production operators in their Parkmore branch and a moulding technician and a quality technician for their Invern branch. You can email your CV to careers at adventmedical.com by Monday the 21st of June with the job you're applying for. Senior car sales executive is required at Tony Burke Motors in Ballybrick, Galway. You can send your CV to careers at CareerWise Recruitment is seeking to hire product builders and earn more. You can email productbuilders at careerwise.ie O'Boyle Electrical Claremorris County Mayo is looking for second, third and fourth year apprentices and qualified electricians. Must be willing to travel and safe pass is required. You can call Michael on 086 Blue Dot Recruitment has multiple manufacturing engineer vacancies in Galway City and County. More information from Hannah on 091 375752 or hannah at pbdrecruit.ie or again their website Therapy Centre in Koshla in Costello, are looking for a fully qualified and Coru registered physiotherapist to work part time you can email ther- therapycentre.ie at gmail.com or you can call 083 0818 333 or Lockton Insulation require a cavity wall insulation fitter full time full training will be given to the right candidate you can call Pat on 087-9011909. Athenraye Truck and Refrigeration Centre Limited have the following vacancies. Further details from Rachel on 087-9611801. And finally, again, PaleBlue.recruitment has multiple quality assurance vacancies, including engineer, senior engineer and manager roles across Galway City and County. More information from Olivia and she's Olivia at pbdrecruit.ie.
11: Galway Bay FM Job Spot and Associate TK Car Sales, Headford Road, Galway. A wide range of quality approved cars, Jeeps, and commercials for sale. Fully serviced, NCT prepared, with comprehensive warranty, history checks,
0: and finance arranged. See tkcars.ie. It's a gorgeous Thursday morning, and now it's gone very dull and dark out there as well. So let's try and brighten up your morning for you. Uh, today. So don't forget we're doing this giveaway in association with the team at Little Galway and um, buy me uh, the app as well. So what you need to do is go onto to your Android or go on to your Apple um, store and download the app because we could be putting 200 euros worth of credit later on this afternoon uh, on it for you so we could. We're going to play a piece of music and we've done it just after 9 o'clock this morning. I'm going to do it again just to remind you that when you hear this piece of music, um, for the second time or third time uh, during Alan's A-list between three and five today quite simply what you have to do is text us to uh which is WhatsApp if you're getting confused about that or 53995 if you want to uh, get in contact with us so when you are this bit of music during Alan's show between three and five uh, if you text in the word Lidl your name and your location in any order Either location name Lidl. That's all you have to do. Lidl being the key one that has to be in there. Uh, you could be in with a chance to win two hundred euros worth of credit and the Buy Me card as well today. And what you can do then from there is you can go on to the app, uh, the Buy Me app. You can decide what you want. In Lidl, You go and go. Click, 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 click. You can spend sixty euro or whatever you want to spend on it. Two hundred, you can spend. You can blow the whole lot. And um, your personal shopper will go into to Lidl. They'll pick up your your um, bits and pieces for you. And they'll deliver it straight to your door. It's as little as that. It's as simple as that as well. But you must download the app itself, the Buy Me app, B-U-I-M-I-E app, and do so. We'll be doing it all over again tomorrow. But this is 12 seconds of the piece of music you must listen out for. That'll be going on in my head now for the rest of the day and I have a full day of meetings when I finish here uh, today. Uh, but that piece of music will be going around in my head. A couple of weeks ago we spoke to Michael O'Mara of Oscars and we were talking about the opening up of um, Upper Dominic Street as well. And I see from uh, Stephen in Goulders City Council, uh, the following statement uh, came in which says, uh, following ongoing discussions between Goulders City Council and the HCN Guards of and Goulders Fire and Rescue Services, Dominic Street Upper will be uh, the latest to see... Uh, trial measures put in place to facilitate outdoor dining. Trial measures introduced in areas such as William Street West, uh, Woodkey, Middle Street, Ravens Terrace and Saltil have been in place for almost a week since the reopening of outdoor dining on June the 7th and have allowed for residents and visitors to safely and comfortably dine and enjoying and spending time in the public realm. How will this affect uh, Oscars and the team down, uh, Michael O'Marr and the team down there. Michael joins you online one day. Michael, good morning to you. Is this good news
12: Oh, Keith good morning, and again, thank you so much for actually taking on this issue so this is brilliant news the um, the west the west side of the city is now you can if you've been there down in the evening at william street um it looks fantastic like it's it's really it's what's the great thing is it's tinning out the the crowds of people that were congregating in kind of one areas yeah. the bars are able to you know it's it's just got a lovely kind of almost a continental atmosphere to it and now that Upper Dominic Street has been brought into the fold as well now um, we're still waiting the details because needless to say the licenses have to be issued out so we have to get the, the fine print if you like for want of a better description but hopefully all that will be sorted through quite quickly and there won't be any problems with it so but it's, it's great news because yeah. Dominic Street Upper, it, it's such an obvious choice um, um, to bring into pedestrianisation and hopefully now this will be a permanent, um, a permanent decision as well
0: From what I'm looking at here, Dominic Street Upper, the L5103, will be closed from Dominic Street Lower uh, to William Street West, indeed, every evening from 6 o'clock until 11 o'clock, from Friday the 18th of June uh, to Thursday the 30th of September. So, that we're talking about tomorrow, uh, tomorrow night, um, from 6 until 11 onwards, uh, it's going to be closed, so... All good news. Are you ready in Oscars then for action?
12: No, unfortunately, because of the delays and the kind of the, what was happening before, we were ready to go and then we weren't. So, unfortunately, we had made a the decision then to to wait until the indoor dining. But the reality is, this is a long-term issue. This is, um, you know, within, within a business, um, you don't really operate in weeks. You operate in months and hopefully years. Yeah. And we have to be looking at the bigger picture with this and saying, right, Gawa City needs to be, um, we, we need to look at how we can actually make the city, allow it to grow properly. If you look at Upper Dominic Street, you have between, say, the Rochine Dove and Monroe's, you have two of the biggest and finest um, live music venues in the whole country there. Um, so, but you can imagine they're generating large amount of people. Then you have Taylors, of course you have, which is an iconic bar, you have John Kyo's, so you have major bar premises and then you have Della Tasca ourselves and so on, and if you actually look across the street as well, there's planning permissions in along the, the entire street for even more restaurants and more, so this area is becoming, up the Abdomic Street is um, organically growing and has been for quite some time, and now it's after kind of hitting that critical mass, so it really is essential to um, be looking at pedestrianising it and getting it regulated because you cannot have that many people on one very small street and with, with high volumes of traffic going back and forth and so on, it's, no. it just becomes dangerous.
0: So effectively then from tomorrow night, just for those that are using the, the area, um, effectively from tomorrow night then, from the corner of Monroe's there and Arthur Maguire's and Ravens Terrace up to the beer house... Slash Henry Street, um, slash the shop on the corner there, and that will be pedestrianised.
12: Exactly, and again, great, fine premises to beer house as well. No, it's um like I understand that sometimes, like um I I uh, I, I pity uh, Rory Lehman Le- Le- and uh, City Council because I say because he was very like he's been great with this whole thing, but in many ways, and I understand that the council is in some ways between a rock and a hard place, trying to get these pedestrianised, because, again, you know, managing a city insurer is a case of there's so many different interests, all, every, and everybody believes their own interests are the most important ones. So, but, and, but again, looking at the area, it's, 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 as I've said all the time along, it's a street that almost has to become pedestrianised, because, like, we've had uh, people come to us in Oscars and ask if we have um, cameras just facing out onto the street, and they've actually asked if they could get the footage because they had actually
0: been hit by cars on the footpath. Wow. Okay. So well, I, I, we, we have. We're, we're going to walk first, uh, so we are uh, until the thirtieth of September, Michael O'Mara, and then we'll see from there. I, I would during the winter months it, it mightn't be the best. I mean, out, outdoor dining is, is 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 an acquired taste, but the weather in Ireland mightn't lend itself all the time to it. <laughs> well,
12: keep, I'd be coming at this. First and foremost, from as it's it's interesting. It's the the blue the blue light services that are um, had brought up the objections, and they're always and we always have to put safety as the number one priority. But my biggest concern on the street over the years, because we're there twenty one years, um, has been because the street has been growing and becoming better and better and growing and growing, and the businesses have been growing in a very organic way. The the having two-way traffic on the street was becoming actually quite dangerous. Mm. And, you know, you, you cannot put literally thousands of people onto a street have very heavy traffic there. And, you know, so, that it, so even in wintertime, we have to be looking at this from a safety point of view. Um, you have, you know, relatively narrow uh, footpaths. You have very, very busy premises. And, you know, like, and again, so it is overwhelmingly, in my view, a safety issue to keep the street pedestrianized because if you don't what's going to happen is as i said there have been people hit actually on a footpath another thing as well is if you look at say two large vehicles um, yeah. and they meet each other on the street um one of those vehicles must mount the curb um to to be able to to, to pass each other now if i'm not mistaken, on a, in a driving test if you mount the curb it's an automatic fail
0: yeah all and right so well well it's good it's good news for today and it, it's in, oh in no, it's, fantastic. it's in place it really until the thirtieth uh, of September so is the fifth of July then that indoor dining starts is that what you're holding off for last
12: 5th of July so we're gearing up for that and but again the outdoors spaces are going to remain very important as well for us because um there's going to be a, a large core of the people who want to dine out yeah but they're going to still be it, it's going to take a while for people to get used to sitting in an enclosed, in an indoor space. It is, it is, and it is. Sure, for those people, at least if we have the option to be able to say, well, we have a couple of seats outside.
3: Yeah.
12: And it kind of, because, and I completely, some people are just very, very nervous and a lot of, and, you know, we, we have to be considerate towards Absolutely. everybody. You know, and that's another thing, other things as well as making sure that, you know, disability, accessibility is um, is maintained on the street and, and the whole, and all of these things. Another thing that's actually really good to know, even with blue light services, is that any of the furniture that's being placed on on street furniture, um, it'll be essentially the sides of the road will be businesses, and then the footpath essentially becomes the middle of the road. And we'll make, and I believe there's ramps and things being uh, put in place to allow um, disabled access onto onto premises as well. But the it's um, but all of this furniture is extremely portable. So yep. if there was ever any uh, blockages, you'd be able to move things out of the way and so on Very as quickly quick, as yeah. you move the
0: traffic on. All right. Michael, good luck with it thanks for joining us. And we leave it to uh, Rory Lehman and Director of Services Brian Barrett uh, to implement that. But as of tomorrow evening, that road is shut uh, in Galway City. We're back just after these. We have three guests to go between now and midday. <laughs> Three guests to go between now and 12 o'clock, and I'm joined on the line now by Kate McSharry, who joins me. She's a graduate uh, student from GMIT, the CCAM unit there in uh, the Redemptors College on the Monovay Road. Uh, the other fourth year uh, contemporary art students and I are hosting our own degree show in June due to COVID. We we're unable to have it uh, in the usual uh, location within the college itself. So the exhibition is called Trans Science and is held in the Coach House in Air Square from the 18th of June until the 27th of June. So opening tomorrow and uh, Kate joins me on the line. Kate Charlie, good morning to you.
10: morning, Keith. How are you?
0: Good. Congratulations on this. It's a pity you can't have it in the college itself um, as as usual, but where exactly is the coach? i actually just... Sorry, go
10: Um, Yeah, no, I think um, that was sent to you a while back. We actually did end up having the show in Camp.
0: Oh, did you? Good. Good, good. Luckily
10: enough, yeah, it was great now, um, but we did plan this a while back before we... We're guaranteed the show, um, but luckily COVID restrictions opened up and we were able to have it.
0: Good. So, you, but you are going into the coach house in Air Square. Where is the coach house in Ersker? Can I ask you?
10: So the coach station is across from Fair Greenhouse. Oh, the coach station, um, yeah. Yeah, um, yeah. So no. um, it, there's a new extension up there, and we've been uh, offered the space for the ten days. So we actually have it up and ready today. Um, but yeah, we'll be officially opening it tomorrow.
0: Um, I haven't seen that extent, but I believe it's absolutely fabulous in there. So it's an excellent opportunity for you to, to re-show the exhibition there then.
10: It's great, yeah. So it's a sample of our work from the degree show. We have 14 students, um, well, graduates now, I guess, um, showing work here. And yeah, it's just it's fantastic to have, have the show up.
0: Now, wh- what are the opening times then? So you're opening tomorrow. What time will you be opening tomorrow, Kate?
10: So we're open from eleven AM until five PM.
0: And yeah, are there pieces of work for sale? Hello? Can you are the pieces of work for sale, Kate?
10: Hi, sorry, yeah, uh, you cut out there for a second. Yes, the work is for sale and um, but the exhibition is free. So um we we've called it Transient um, because of it's only lasting a short time and the pop up exhibition usually is quite ephemeral in nature. So, um, yeah, we're just, we're very happy to have it open to everyone and looking forward to welcoming people in to see the work.
0: Good. And who curated it? Did you curate it yourselves?
10: So, yeah, um, we all chose individually what work we wanted to show in, but myself and another um, artist, Alicia Griffin, we came in yesterday and kind of co-curated the placement of the work.
0: Good on you, good on you. So it's open from 11 to 5, from the 18th of June, which is tomorrow, until the 27th of June, which is, um, that's nearly two weeks, isn't it? Well, it's yeah, a week, just a week, under two yeah, weeks. Under two weeks, yeah. A week, a week and a bit uh, from there, sure. so it is. But uh, congratulations on it. Uh, and again, if they want to get further details, just pop in. So it's the Coach Station, uh, not the Coach House, the Coach Station, uh, which is the extension to the bus station, indeed, uh, which is uh, just yeah. off Foster Street, on the corner of Foster Street, and indeed as you head up towards um, the back of Park House, that general area there uh, from there. Um, yeah well will
10: plenty of signs up anyway, getting the posters up today so.
0: You'll have plenty of what did you say?
10: Of signs and posters up Oh good where, stuff, where good it is. stuff
0: Yeah. Alright listen uh, Kate uh, and thank you for joining us uh, today on the programme. Uh, Keith uh, this uh, caller said there's uh, a three car crash on Borna Drav heading into the city huge traffic delays there only a few weeks ago they had hundreds of thousands of bodies and nowhere to bury them in India. Then you hear the academic students coming back to Galway. It needs to be put in context. Um And Keith, can you just remind people uh, that there is a three-car crash uh, on Bohunadrav, and its traffic is extremely slow in that general area. Glad to do that, so we are today. And uh, Keith, uh, this uh, good morning to you Keith, this uh, caller said, uh, I was shopping in Duns Hill two weeks ago and I parked in the car park at the back. As I was walking towards the store, I tripped over the kerb and I got a nasty fall. Now, there were a group of children playing ball and they kept asking if I was okay. And uh, there was also a couple getting out of a car near me and they just ignored me. So I just want to say thank you to the children who showed more compassion than the mature couple. I'm very bruised um, in my arm and my knee, but I'm okay. My rant over. Thank you again for the children, though, for asking how I was, the scholar said. Yeah, that's. there's a lot of good young people out there, I have to say. a Really a huge amount of good young people out there. But um, again, well done to them if you're one of those. On the WhatsApp uh, there today, this uh, caller says to us uh, today, um, yeah, you're telling me that you uh, bought a holy picture and four weeks ago and since you purchased the picture of our Lord, uh, God changed his images from our Lord to our Lady and many other angels. We'll talk to you after the program about that, so we will and see can we get something uh, done on that tomorrow morning. But we will chat to you after the program on that. I promise you. From there, now then, let's uh, take a short commercial break. We have a, a lovely book coming the way, so stay tuned for that uh, coming the way quite shortly. And also uh, today we have um, we have some um, news in relation to one of the giveaways. So I'll stay tuned for that and more to come. Why am I doing that there? No, let me do this there like that. Do this. Now let me go to Anna McPartland who joins me because uh, she's got a new book out and it's her second during the pandemic. Uh, she's been busy writing, so she has, and she joins me on the line today. Uh, Anna, good morning to you. How are you today? Uh,
1: good, thanks. My second during the pandemic. I'm that lucky that I bring out two books during a pandemic. <laughs>
0: But do you know what? You obviously had time to put it together, so fair play to you for doing it because...
1: Uh, listen, you know what? Books are written well in advance. Do you think I would have brought it out last year if i had any choice whatsoever? The shops were barely open when I got it back in, and it was like a ghost town. So, yeah, it's it's been an interesting time.
0: <laughs> so, last year you spoke to us about uh, Below the Big Blue Sky, and now, yep. now you have... Um, a book called "Waiting uh, for the Miracle," boom, 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 That's boom. Right. So you're looking for you're looking for a miracle here, then, are you?
1: Are we all? Why not? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> so we Beam can me up, Scotty. It, bring <laughs> me off somewhere where
0: there's sunshine, and I'll come. I'll bring your book with me, and I promise
1: you. Correct. Oh, God bless you. <laughs> Yeah, I know. Waiting for the miracle—it's uh, quite an apt name for the times we're living in. Um, but it has nothing to do with a pandemic, you'll be happy to hear, um, and everything to do with infertility. <laughs> so it's basically—it's two—it's a dual timeline, and there's one in 2010, and it's about four women who meet each other in an infertility group and the profound effect that they have on one another's lives. And then there's also a timeline in the 70s in Ireland and it's a young girl called Catherine who finds herself pregnant alone and she's turfed into a mother and baby institution and it's about her fighting for survival and to keep her little child. And that's the story. Now, it sounds so grim, Keith, but all no, my no, books
0: No, do, no, no. But but there's but, a
1: lot of joy.
0: But go back, though, to the fertility clinic. Uh, what year is that based in? 2010.
1: 2010.
0: And then mm. the young girl is based, what, what year did you say that? 70,
1: 76,
0: 76. Yeah. Mm. God, how we've come a long way in such a short period that's of time.
1: It's extraordinary.
0: Isn't it just wonderful? Yeah. So, um, again, so you, you, you so how, how do you manage as a writer then to jump from 2010 uh, to 1976 back to 2010?
1: Well, great ease. I mean, a story is a story. So um, once you have all your research done and you know exactly what tale you want to tell for each character, it really, I don't find that difficult at all. I know a lot of writers find it difficult to do a dual timeline, but it it really comes easily to me. So that really wasn't a problem at all. Um, Yeah, no.
0: Simple. <laughs> so, so did you write then did you write the two thousand and ten and the nineteen seventy six Did you write just as one long script?
1: um yeah, but I do know exactly what's going to happen um oh, do you? for every character like so I know exactly what my timeline is for every one of them um so I would have a map written, but just a very kind of skeletal map written, and then. As I'm as I'm working, then I'm filling it in. But and I might move certain things around. But I I know the the beginning, middle, and end of every single character story, and that makes it much easier then to balance everything.
0: So you know whether they're going to have the baby or not. You're going to know whether they're going to have the twins. Oh, I now. do. Yeah. You know whether they're going to split up with the partner, or the husband, or not. You.
1: Yeah. Yeah.
0: So you're playing. I know it you're playing. Like, <laughs> you're playing God, then, and my partner. So you're.
1: <laughs> I. I've wielded out those
0: miracles. <laughs> Plain God. Uh, you said she, You said to yourself, your mother used to say, if it wasn't for bad luck, I'd have none. Not a lovely exactly. thing. It's kind of a, a positive negative there, so it is. Yeah, well done.
1: It's <laughs> true. Uh, Very how, true. How,
0: how is the uh, book selling?
1: Well, I don't know, because it only came out on Wednesday, last Wednesday. So, you know yourself, I mean, just because the the is last Wednesday. That doesn't mean the shops actually have the books in st- in store on Wednesday. It means they're creeping in from Wednesday. So realistically, we never look at numbers until the following Saturday. So it won't be. It'll be this Saturday. Now I'll I'll end up getting some figures through. So I wouldn't. You wouldn't bother on this last Saturday because, as I said, half the shops wouldn't even have the book in store. You know what I mean? So will you be nervous? So
0: will nerve- will there be- you be? Will you be like a briar now on Saturday until you get the figures? Will you?
1: No, I won't. I gave up on that a long time ago. <laughs> I, just, I just kind of forget. I'm, see, Because, uh, look, you're selling a book and it's good. I'm selling it and I hope people buy it and I hope people enjoy it and all that. But, like, I'm three projects down the line. I'm, I'm on something else. My head is completely somewhere else now, which is really strange. So I'm, um, I'm working on a deadline and that's what I'm consumed with. And I think that's kind of healthy because you can't control, once that book is out in the shop. You have no control over who buys it, where it goes, how it goes down, whereas I have control over the project I'm working over now. Mm-hmm. So that's how I like to get through things. Otherwise, I'd be bananas altogether.
0: <laughs> well, listen, in good times, you'd be coming down to College Sign, so you would in Charlie oh, Burns yeah. and Kenny's and Dubray. But there would that, be good times again. Sure. Look, if you did two in a pandemic, you might as well do a third one coming out of a pandemic. and. Uh, <laughs> The, mir- the, I mir- hope so. <laughs> the miracle that was uh, from there, yeah. Listen, Anna uh, McPartland, thank you for joining us today. And again, the book, if you want to get it, her previous book was called Big Blue Sky, and um, Below the Big Blue Sky, and this one is called Waiting for the Miracle. Boom, boom, boom. Now, I wanted to move on today very quickly and briefly because um, the canals are a very, very, very important part of uh, Galway City. And I want to, it's a very big report, but I want to go through it briefly with Philip James, indeed, who's uh, authored a report from Galway Waterways Foundation. And again, some of the results from it are, are quite staggering. And uh, he joins me on the line. Philip, good morning to you. Thanks for joining us uh, today on the uh, uh, morning, how, how long does this um, research take, can I ask you?
11: Well, it didn't actually take very long. Uh, we ran the survey back at the beginning of the year and uh, they began really in December, ran into January, and all the results were in quite quickly people reacted very quickly to
0: it. Now, it's very comprehensive. Can you give me just the headline ones on this one? Because there's confusion as to who controls uh, the canals, who owns the canals, who's responsible for the canals, what can happen on the canals. Um, But it was a very comprehensive study.
11: Yes, yes indeed, yeah. And um, I think it's important to point out that we asked the people who care most about the waterways and indeed who use the waterways the most. So we included in it the rowers, the kayakers, the anglers, the environmentalists, the sub-aqua divers, the powerboat people—all the people who really know and, and and love the waterways. So, in a sense, they're the they're the experts. Where most of us out there in the population, we kind of know they're there, but we don't really notice them very much. But these are the people who use them on a daily basis and really, really care the most about them.
0: But they're a beautiful asset to have within the city. I mean, they're they they are the city.
11: Well, it's it's quite incredible. Uh, I would venture to say that Galway has the most intricate river and canal network in Ireland, but no one would really think that. But if you, if you look at the map and look at all the interlacing waterways, some of which are natural, some of which are man-made, and the other thing to consider is that our history of waterways in Galway, goes back 1,000 years, mm-hmm. uh, with the first intervention being the Friars' Cut, which was back, I think it was the 12th century, by the monks in Clare-Galway cut a canal or cut a shortcut into Galway, and that proceeded into the 13th, 14th, 15th centuries. The Normans um, used the city for defense because it was surrounded by water. And then as we move into the 17th, 18th, 19th century, we use the water for power. There were 30 mills operating in Galway in the middle of the 19th century, producing clean, renewable energy. And now we don't use them at all.
0: Not a That's one. Perfect. Yeah. Not a
11: one. Not a one. And uh, a lot of the artifacts are still there. Now, I, I should hasten to add that, that one of the problems of managing the waterways is that there are many different uses and these uses have to be balanced so for example as soon as i mentioned hydroelectric power the rowers and the kayakers would get upset or if you mentioned power boating the anglers would get upset but that's really the point is we use them for many different things but we have no way to balance the use because there's no forum that one can go to to negotiate these uses and then set rules and regulations for example traffic rules on the canal the rowers tell me and it can be quite dangerous when the rowers are training and uh, let's say, un, uh, ex- inexperienced kayakers or, or stand-up boarders enter the waterways. They can literally be overrun by the rowers. So, uh, and then we know, of course, of the unfortunate incidents that happen from time to time of people falling or jumping into the river. So yeah. there's so many different angles, and there's, no, there's really no one place to go uh, to sort it all out. So that's really the prime reason for the survey was to get some kind of reaction from our city council, both the elected officials and the permanent officials.
0: And And, have you submitted it to them?
11: Oh, yes. Yeah. Yeah. It was uh, about a week ago. Um, I haven't received um, any response at all. But unfortunately, that's not unusual. Um, We ran a series of workshops back in 2017-18. Indeed, I was on your program in 2017 announcing these workshops where we invited a range of people to come and deliberate about the future of the canals. We produced a report with about 10 10 very straightforward uh, recommendations, nothing crazy, and submitted that to the council. No response, no reaction, no buy or leave, no nothing. Yeah, well, so diff- it's typical unfortunately it's typical i don't i don't really understand it the the elected officials don't want to deal with it the permanent officials simply stonewall it. so it it defies understanding really i,
0: I can't answer for them and i haven't put a question into them so i can't answer for them uh, but no, the si- I quite situ- situation is though that, i mean i think again we as a child i spent uh, and i mean as a child and No longer a child, of course. Uh, But I did spend... And if if I'm right, I do remember the bridge mills being an operational mill with the water, uh, with the big water wheel on it. To be honest, I'm going now back to... I could be going back 52, 53 years on that one. Um,
11: Well, if I could just mention that, uh, Keith, uh, in, in later years, Frank Hinehan, who we who may yeah. may remember, he renovated. He was one of the first people to really appreciate some of the old structures.
5: Absolutely, he yeah.
11: renovated the bridge mills about 1990, and he got the wheel working again. And it was actually a working wheel, fantastic thing. Now it's still there, but it's not in operation at the moment. And uh, it, the fact that it isn't is is a total shame because it commemorates. The use of the river for power, it's also a yeah. tremendous viewing and talking point for people who are in the restaurant that's now located there in the basement. Um, so that's just one example. And of course, there's also a little wheel, as, as we may know, on the next to the garth- car park, next to the, garth- that's right, the yeah. public car park.
0: There's that's all gummed up though, there. isn't it?
11: Well, it's not an operation. It no. could be, um, but it isn't. Uh, and again, this is this is an aspect of Galway's history that is is under underappreciated. As I said, thirty thirty mills, clean renewable energy, now none.
0: Yeah, I suppose people saw it as being progress because, I mean, where the Purse mills is there, and again, where Palmer's Mills were, which is Nuns Island part yeah. of the yeah. Galway mm-hmm. complex. But hopefully, when yeah. all of that is done, maybe that can be just revisited again as part. Yeah, I
11: hope so. You know. Th- there are there are two electric turbines in the basement of that mills building that you're talking about on Nunn's Island, which which together produce about seventy could produce about seventy kilowatts of power. Um, again, clean renewable energy. Nothing being done with it at the moment. Hopefully, the university uh, will take that into account when it renovates all of that uh, yeah.
0: space. I just remember as a kid going in there with my uncle and my grand-aunt indeed to pick up feed for hens or for cattle or whatever it was into the bridge mills. And again, some of the older people in town. I think there was a Mr. Lyons there at the time. He was very tall, thin, absolute, total gentleman. I think his name was Mr. Lyons, was the manager of the mill at the time. But um, yeah, it's just, it's amazing. Well, you
11: know, again, sorry to cut across another example behind the bridge mills. Is is a lovely stone built right, apartment yeah. building called Granary Suite. That was also a mill. That's right. And in fact, on that site there was about three or four mills at one point in time. And now that history is completely forgotten and not commemorated. Mm. Maybe we so. There's, should... all, there's just so many angles to this, Keith. There are so and there is so much potential. As uh, as, as I mentioned before, there was a uh, consultancy report in 1996 that said. The river and canals of Galway are a tremendous local asset that could be better managed and developed for amenity for the population for tourists. If, if and if you consider what other cities have done with their canals in close at hand, uh, Birmingham or Manchester and Chicago, as you know very well, renovated their inner city mm-hmm. river and they're tremendous uh, attractions for people to come and sit by and and have a coffee it's by or he- stroll along or artists painting by and all of these different things and and we just we just we just can't seem to to get it together and uh, get control and manage this tremendous natural resource properly
0: and there's nothing nicer I, I love walking from say canal down by the back of the Port clears and all the way down along there and I know when and because I've seen some of the drawings for Nunn's Island when it's going to be done that'll open that whole area up so it will yeah. from there and uh, there's one That's just that. close to just up from the Rochin Dove there, there's a free falling uh, again which would create I mean if we could get some kind of a turbine on that that would create perfect power so it will there as well
11: well, that's a that's a complicated one. Um, I personally would like to see the lock restored, but yeah. that's that's different people have different opinions about that. The kayakers would like that as a as a kind of an obstacle course feature. It certainly be could could be made into a sort of waterfall feature if it was well lit and so on. It could be um, used for hydroelectric. Now, I know the Lock Carab Trust did a study about hydroelectric on that location, it would be quite expensive for various different reasons. But really the point okay. is, we need to take a hold of these things, consider what's best, balance all the different uses, manage and development for the good of the people and the visitors and the natural environment. It's all within our possibility to do, if we could just find the political will to do it.
0: Right Philip James, we'll uh, talk to you again about it, but uh, where can they get further details on this? Uh, can they look it up online?
11: Well, you can find out, yes. You can look at it. We do have a good website, GalwayWaterways.ie, where you can find out all about our waterways. You can see some videos. You can follow the waterways virtually along a photographic record of them and so on. So please do visit the website, GalwayWaterways.ie.
0: All right, Philip James, thank you for joining us uh, today on the uh, programme. And uh, we'll keep talking about that. It's just, I think it's it's really and truly one of the big assets that we have here uh, in the city. And remember remember that's what the trade was all about fires cut exactly as he outlined there that's what it was all about getting getting trade in and getting trade out that's what it was all about at the time that's it for today we're back in July from Studio One tomorrow morning we're based now in on Studio One permanently so we are for the last couple of weeks so uh, we're back from Studio One tomorrow morning starting just after the 9 o'clock news and um, Roland comes from Studio Two very shortly so we just hand control to him and then Alan comes from here and then we, we toggle back and forth due to COVID we go from one studio to the other but our permanent home currently is Studio One and we look forward to welcoming guests back into here in the very near future. But that is it for today. Tomorrow morning, nine o'clock, just after the nine o'clock news, do join us again. Fairly busy program. We're looking to get a COVID uh, tomorrow morning. Katie produced uh, and Siobhan took all of your comments. So will be joining you tomorrow morning, just after the news at nine. Have a good and a safe Thursday. Behave yourselves or don't. And let's hope that a little bit of sunshine uh, comes out uh, throughout the afternoon for you to enjoy and get out and about. Have a safe one. Bye-bye.